The fundamentals of business are never gonna change, whether it's in another country or the fact that technology comes here. There's two ways to operate business, increase sales or reduce costs. There's three ways to deal with a customer, acquire a new one, upsell a current one, or make one buy more frequently. All these things are going to need to be done in any business you have. with Damon John. What's happening? Shark Tank judge. The first Shark Tank judge, and he says better than Mark Cuban. Mark, I hope you're watching this. He knows that, he knows this. He already knows that. This is not new info to Mark. (laughs) So I wanna talk, because a lot of entrepreneurs follow you. I mean, a lot of people follow you in general, but for the entrepreneur crowd, who are just out walking around, and I wanna kinda give like five things that people can take away in terms of being more productive. Mm-hmm. The first one you told me is obsession. Yeah. And by the way, he's got a new book. Rise and Grind. Rise and Grind. Rise Make and sure grind. you pick it up. What is your definition of se- obsession? Because I meet people that say they're obsessed, but I don't believe them. Because they get distracted easily. Yeah, you know, my, my, my version or my understanding of obsession with your business is uh, the same as your obsession with your kid. The same exact thing, like it's a joy, it's an honor, and you love uh, how the process unfolds daily of the things you figure out, how you can be more productive or add more value to the business, to customers and things of that nature. And it, you don't look at it really as a daily job. You look at it as the process. Right. You know that you're not going away. It's like having a kid. You know you're not giving your child up for adoption. Yeah. You're going to work this thing out regardless. You know? So come hell or high water, you're That's going it. through. That's it. You're obsessed with it. What do you think, though, for somebody watching who is too stubborn, though, their original business idea, they might take your words and go, no matter what, I'm going to make this product work. When they really, like, you look at Instagram was a pivot. At first, his first mm-hmm. idea was an address book, didn't make any money, switched it to Instagram, made a billion dollars. How do you know whether to persevere or switch and make that pivot. I mean, you know, in business, it's pretty simple, right? It's pretty binary. It's like you either, you know, increase sales or reduce costs after you've tried it enough and you find that, you know, um, your customers are dissatisfied with you. You're not being able to move the product. You don't know what it's going to be. Is it going to be the name? Is it going to be the customer you're serving? Is it going to be the price? Yeah. Whatever the case is. But you have to exhaust all resources. But if you're going with it with the mentality to just throw more money at it, it's going to yeah. work, then then that's not happening. You, know, yeah. you, have, you have to create this following of consumers who will, are going to be your biggest ambassadors. They're going to be religious about it. You're going to listen to them. But anybody who doesn't want to listen to the other people, whether they're working for them or the people that they're selling, they're crazy because that's what innovation is. Yeah. People don't sit down and say, let's just think of something new. It's the fact that I thought of something and you go, well, maybe you should do it this way. And I go, maybe I should do it this way. And then something comes out of it. It's not yeah. just so it's the back I'm, and forth. Yeah, it's, the, it, it, it's forth. the communication. That's the only thing that separates us from other animals. It's the communication, the ability to communicate accurately. Yeah. Let me take some questions because we're getting a lot of questions. Someone said, nice, a real shark on the podcast. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, okay, here's a good question. And maybe this will be number two, productivity. Okay. Free Mejari on Twitter says, Ty, it's discouraging when you have good ideas and you can't afford to get them started. So number two, how do you how are you productive when you're watching? You've got an idea, you got a business you want to launch, but you've heard the saying it takes money, make money, you don't have any money. 
What'd you do? Let's take what you did, because well, you started all, a huge brand. First of all, I wrote a whole book on it. My last book is called The Power of Broke, all right? So number one, money's not gonna get you. Then money actually is a superficial high. It's going to let people lie to you and things of that nature. I started with one hat. One hat. Zuckerberg started with one friend, right? Yeah. One. Uh, so you have to start it. And a true entrepreneur, what they do is they act, they learn, and then they repeat. They do it on a very small scale, and then they throw uh, gasoline and kerosene on it to blow up. When people come on Shark Tank, if they haven't if they haven't sold anything to anybody at all and they don't know who their customer is, I'm not giving them a dollar. I'm not having them use my money as tuition. I don't need them to learn life off of my dollars. So bottom line is you don't need money. Over 65% of the Forbes or Inc. 1000 wealthiest people in the world are self-made men and women. That means they started with zero. Yeah. Right. So don't let people discourage you with that. Go out there and do something. Act, learn, repeat. Sell one thing. Sell two things. Sell three things. How many? How did you start? Did you? Yeah. You, just, you just woke up like this. This is no. how. This is how it happened. I started actually in. I had a little apartment, and I just started inviting people over. And it was so small. It was like one bedroom. Mm -hmm. And it's actually, I agree with you because sometimes having too much money and too much success you make a mistake on a larger scale. The number one yeah. reason why small businesses fail is overfunding. Yeah. That's the one reason. People don't realize that because, you know, I like to use this scenario of you want to open up a cupcake shop because your grandmother made cupcakes and they were amazing. So you go get a $100,000 loan. You haven't sold one cupcake yet. Right. You open up this beautiful shop. I mean, the, your staff has cupcake-looking hats. The register's in the shape of a cupcake, right? The, the yeah. couch is in the shape of a cupcake. But then you start to find out that... You know, you put you put the cupcake shop in an area where there's a kid next door in a preschool that has a peanut allergy. They got a they right. got a square off six miles, right? Every time a kid in your store sells a cupcake, he steals another one, right? Yeah. And you you realize that there was a little old lady in the church about three blocks away who was selling cupcakes like crack for the last ten years. You now have to close down shop. You have seven years of bad credit. Nobody's talking to you, and you got a shitload of cupcakes in your backyard. Yeah. You know, so that's the problem. You know, instead of going out and standing on the corner or getting a kiosk for a day or going to a shop that's selling uh, selling uh, some other, pro they're selling great uh, milkshakes and you ask to put cupcakes in a consignment, you have to sell one. Uh, you yeah. know, going out and raising money for nothing, uh, that kills people. Yeah. It's kind of like you have to go on a date before you get married. Raising 100000 or raising a million dollars for a business, you might realize you got married to the wrong person too quick. Yeah, it's a shotgun Vegas and, wedding. Exactly. And by the way, <laughs> don't quit your day job. All right? Yeah. Remember everybody tells you about quitting your day job? Well, listen, I worked at Red Lobster for five years making $30,000 a, a year uh, while I went home and worked on food. I slept three hours a night. But I made $30,000 a year. That was $150,000 after five years. I had medical. I was taking home all the food that people weren't eating, all the leftover because yeah. I had to feed myself, right? And I had my, my friends who were working at Red Lobster help me sew the shirts and sell the hats. Yeah. I would have had to do $2 million worth of business to bring home that same $150,000 yeah. in FUBU, right? Yeah. So don't quit your day job. All those people that are telling you all that other crap, you need money, quit your day job, and all that other stuff, they're lying to you. They're just trying to sell you an insecurity. Yeah. Joel Salatin, my first mentor, he said he didn't quit his day job till he had one year savings. I still go yeah. back and work at Red Lobster sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'd like to see that. I'm going to show up at that Red Lobster. Shrimp fest. Shrimp fest. You get it. You, you want anything? Butter, sour cream, chives, anything else? 
Okay, good. You know what? I, I'm potato. not big on Red Lobster. I, I, but You're you, not. You might what have What the hell is wrong with you, man? This is an ambassador. Somebody said this is the best biscuits. periscope with Damon. He's oh, so smart. One of my ambassadors? There we go. I don't know who it is. Shout out. Someone said cheers from Venezuela. All right. All right, let's do this. Third tip. Productivity tip, because he's from Venezuela. He says, any advice for entrepreneurs in an economy with hyperinflation, or we could say an, a non-U.S. economy, maybe a third world country, not to use the word third world, but what would you do if you weren't in the U.S.? Some countries a little bit less entrepreneur friendly. What's your advice to our global listeners? So let's talk about something that is talked about once in a while in business, but not enough. I was uh, talking with Alex, my business partner, about scaling uh, this new business we've launched. And he, of course, is always a little bit more, how do I put it, gung-ho than I am about scaling. And so he's like, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's let's get the company up. And, and I quoted him something that I read. I can't remember the exact words now. Basically said, you can only scale a business as quickly as you can hire. You can scale hiring. And there's a lot of truth to that because I don't care what business you're in. The hardest part is not product development. It's not marketing. Marketing a good product is easy. You know, if you can't market it, it's usually because your product isn't good and nobody wants it. You know, you can't sell underwater basket weaving to the world, no matter how good your marketing skills are. If you pick something that people want, like Uber, pick something that people wanted, it just sold because you know, Uber and Lyft, people didn't want to have to get a taxi and they don't want to have their own cars. So if product and marketing is not the hard part of business, especially when you want to scale, what is the hard part? In my opinion, it is growing your employee base, your assistants, your marketing team, you know, your right-hand man or woman, your COO, getting good accounting, bookkeepers. Like this is... You should focus for 2019 on being really good at hiring. And one of the reasons that I partnered, you know, on my show with ZipRecruiter is just because it's a powerful tool because they actually, unlike most job sites, ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates for you. And and that's, look, that's unfortunately, like Warren Buffett said, when he graduated from Wharton, he thought it was going to be really hard to make a lot of money because there'd be so many talented people in the world. And then he said he went out in the real world and it was like, wait a second, there wasn't that many good people. And for that reason, if you can use technology like what ZipRecruiter has to narrow down the needle in the haystack in 2019, that's going to be when you look back on 2019, you'll be like the domino that you pushed that made all the other dominoes fall in place was efficient hiring. ZipRecruiter is so effective. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. So you can start off this year strong. You just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash tie. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash T-A-I. ZipRecruiter.com slash tie. It's the smartest way to hire. What would you do if you weren't in the U.S.? Some countries a little bit less entrepreneur friendly what's your advice to our global listeners 
you know, I don't really know if I can give them that advice. You know, entrepreneurship is not new. We've been bartering and trading since the beginning of time. It's just a label on it now. And I don't think whether it's another country, another planet, there's anything going to be different. Yeah. When you have to come out with something, an idea, a product, a service, you have to perfect it with a small group of people. You have to then let that be infectious and, and, and over deliver to those people. And then you have to grow the business, you know, point yeah. by point. Listen, the, fun, the, the reason I'm on Shark Tank is not because, uh, you know, I have this big PhD and all these kind of things. I just have common sense, right? Yeah. And I come at it with a very everyday man's approach. The fundamentals of business are never gonna change, whether it's in another country or the fact that technology comes here. There's two ways to operate business, increase sales or reduce costs. There's three ways to deal with a customer, acquire a new one, upsell a current one, or make one buy more frequently. All these things are going to need to be done in any business you have, yeah. simple as that. So, so listen, there's a lot of people that come over to this great country of ours and they are entrepreneurs and they make it over here and they come and blow up, right? Yeah. Because they were like, man, it was hard over there. This is easy over here. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I'll tell you, if you look at global wealth, it's not just America anymore, not even close. No way. Okay, Scott Winzinger, number four here. He's just asking you, best advice you ever received from somebody? Money is a great slave, but a horrible master. Hmm. And every time I started to realize that, the meaning of that, and every time I see somebody that opened a business because they want to be rich, or every time, as I was sharing with you, that the friends of mine that we grew up with that are all dead or in jail because they decided to sell crack when crack came around and I was a kid, uh, learning that they were only just chasing money, that really was the determining factor for most of the people's failures I've ever seen. Because if you're out there doing something for money, you know, you could do something for a year or two years, it's gonna feel like it's forever. Yeah. And as soon as you get the money, you're gonna blow it on a lot of things because you're like, man, I finally got it, right? But the day that you start to do something because of a passion, a drive, and you know this solves a problem and and, and you do it because of a love, you will do that forever. Yeah. You know, like I told you about the five years I worked, I wasn't, I had a great time selling, making my shirts for those five years that I didn't know it was ever gonna be anything. Really, honestly, I opened a FUBU in 89. I closed it three times up until 92 because I kept running out of money, like $1,000, $2,000, yeah. $3,000. And I didn't get any public recognition really until 97. Really? So that's how long it nine was. Nine years That in. was nine yeah. years. But I was a young kid. I loved hip hop. I was able to go on the video sets and holler at the video girls. You know, I was able to eat at the, you know, the food that was out there. And as soon as they come <laughs> to kick me out. Yeah, as soon as they come to kick me out, you, uh, the video set, I'd be like, <clears throat> I'm, I'm the one supplying the, the shirts for uh, that. That my friend, the rapper, for him? No, yeah. no, for his cousin. I'm supplying the shirt for his cousin on set. I need to stay here pimping. And that's how I stayed on it. And I would do that forever. I would have paid to go on the set to look at LL Cool J and all these amazing artists, right? Yeah. You know, so, um, so listen, you're doing something you love, man. It's fascinating and it's just, it's great. Yeah, one of my mentors said, if you have to take a vacation from your job, you should never go back. That's true. If you have to. It's okay to take a vacation, but if you got that feeling like, I gotta get out of here. I've been, you know, two months working. It's not, you're not gonna <laughs> make it done. in this game. It's done. You say you heard 1989 to, to 97, you yeah. had to just kind of work in That's silence. It. That's it, but I, but I loved it. I love every minute of it. All right, let's get one more here, and then we'll do a few more. We'll do, a, I wanna do a lightning round at the end, but okay, Nick Grover, number five productivity tip. How many hours a week do you recommend somebody work? Is that even the right question? 
No, that's the wrong question. And that's the whole purpose for Rise and Grind. I'm, uh, I'm explaining, because the Rise and Grind is a productivity book, right? Because yeah. it was at a point where I was already eight, nine years on the Shark Tank, 60 or 80 companies I'm investing in. I got a little two-year-old baby girl at home. I got all my other companies. I have my health and things uh, that I have to wonder about and, uh, you know, and, and make sure that I work on. And I started interviewing and or talking to some dear friends of mine, like Captain Zeta Jones, Santana, and, and other friends that you may not know, like my buddy Kyle Maynard, who um, who climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, but he was born with no arms and no legs, and he climbed it with no prosthetics, wow. right? Huh. And I started to say to them, I want to know your productivity tips, because the Damon John at 20 is no longer the Damon John at 48. Yeah. I can't put in the work like I've done back then. And, you know, mastery is not just something you learn right away and boom, you're a master. You know, when Bruce Lee was still alive at 35, he was a master in Kung Fu, but at 70, with the same, with, with different muscle retention, different speed and different strength, he's gonna have to learn a master to fight a different way. Yeah. Like Ali, when he came out of jail, when they stripped him, he had to learn the rope dope to become more effective to beat George Foreman. So productivity in regards to time is very, very different for each person. We were just on the phone with Grant. Grant Cardone in the book, He'll schedule a meeting for 9.06 because he wants everybody to know how serious is he is about time, right? Yeah. Other people in the book won't send out any, won't answer any emails for the first hour of the day because as soon as you pick up that phone, the beginning of the day, you answer emails, you're answering everybody else's goddamn problem. You're taking yeah. care of everybody else's stuff. Instead, like Chris Saka, he looks at his inbox as his uh, uh, defense and his outbox as his offense, so he'll send out as many emails as he wants, but he will not look at anybody else's right. Emails for the first hour of the day. So you have to think about productivity as various different things. And in this book, I have 15 subjects to show you maybe if you put them all together, a hundred different ways to be productive that fits you. So productivity, I can't tell you for one hour. Right here. Yeah, rise and grind. I can't tell rise you the, the one answer to uh, you know for life because honestly, uh, the biggest question that everybody has usually is work-life balance. How do you how do you do it? There's a good book, Everything Store, about Jeff Bezos, who's now the richest man in the world. And he would fire anybody who asked him, what's gonna be my work-life balance? He was like, you're automatically out. Because he said, like you said, obsession. Then you're not thinking that way. But like you said, so let me throw this at you. Um, I'm a big believer that it's not just the hardest worker. It's not just the one who only grinds. The top 10 men in the world have more money than the bottom 3.5 billion combined. So obviously the top 10 people aren't just working harder. I've been, I grew up, you know, I was born in Long Beach. My, my family, my dad's from Harlem. I've seen people working hard, two, three jobs, grinding. Been to India, people working, picking up trash, 14 hours a day, making 20 bucks a month. So what's the balance, not, let's not talk about just work-life balance, but what's the balance between working hard and working smart? What have you found? Like, let's talk about FUBU. I wish I would, I, I, I thought I'd set you up for that question, right? Because you're asking me the entire reason I, I wrote the book is because, you know, if you look at it, smart people know hard work is what you need to do. We've already established that. But a lot of people are like, thank you for telling me hard work is important, but I need direct and very precise things to do to right. work smarter. Because it's like me saying, go to the park and shoot around and one day you'll get into the NBA. No, you need a coach to show you how to jump higher and move yeah. faster and he's basically read your plays and do everything else that you're doing, right? Um, you know, productive, super productive people are extremely, extremely selfish. 
They're huh. very selfish in a good way. Okay. The way I like to say it is uh, Michael Jordan, he didn't run around to everybody else's basketball practices. He busted his ass so he could be the best member to the team. Yeah. And as I look at people here, they all said the same thing in this book, but all executed different ways. Like I said, they'll wake up in the morning. They won't give up their sovereignty to everybody else by answering all their stuff. They won't even go on to Instagram because you go on to Instagram, everybody else is smarter, skinnier, or you know <laughs> they, they, got a, they got a bigger house, whatever the case. The narcissism you get depression, of, of Instagram. Right? They'll start also giving praise and thanks to what they currently have so it puts them in the right mindset instead of thinking about what they don't have. Mm. They're currently in the moment all the time, right? They also are putting some form of exercise and or adrenaline in their body in the beginning of the day and makes them pro more productive throughout their entire time. They're scheduling time very specifically. They schedule time with their loved ones and families because usually that's the only thing we don't schedule. Yeah. We'll get to you later, honey. We'll get to you later. The kids, before you know the kids are 25 years old and they're out of the house. But yet, we'll schedule the time to be on the train, the time to be at the office, the time to meet friends for the 8.30 dinner. And we'll never schedule time with our family. Yeah. And the most important thing they do as they do some form of meditation and or goal setting. They go to a dark place, they find out who they are, and they look and they say, is that the way I want my obituary to read? Am I living the life that I want my obituary to read? What do I want? It's like me. I have 10 goals, seven of them expire in six months and the other three expire in five years, 10 years and 20 years. And I read them every night before I go to bed because it's the last thing I think about when I'm sleeping and I, and I read them every morning when I wake up because I take one action towards one of those goals. They're very, very focused about the goals that they want in life. And you'll see in here that there's different ways to do that. Other people write goals in A and B, have to, would like to. This way the goals are not overwhelming. Right. And then they start knocking these down and maybe they'll get to these. Mm -hmm. And another person in the book says, hey, I write all the things I love in life and all the things I hate to do. And what I do is the things I hate to do, I try to outsource it and or get rid of the people that are making me hate it. And I find myself moving towards the things that I love. So those are the keys to being able to really work hard and smart because if you do all that, you're gonna take the proper steps. You're gonna surround yourself with the right people. Find the right mentors. You're going to do your homework on the situation and try to solve it at the easiest and fastest way to then take those uh, small, affordable steps. So those are all the type of things that people do that work very, very hard and are productive. Yeah. I like the one that you said about the two list, the A and the B, because sometimes people's goal list is like 300 things. And I'm like, you're not going to get, yeah. you're not going to pull off 300 you things. You suffer from analysis paralysis yeah. after that. You always are trying to get out of the gate. You're like trying to do double judge, but you never jump into the, the ropes. Yeah. yeah, so much of life is just jumping in. All right, let's take, we got a few more minutes and we got to head out. Let's see here. Where are we not? Oh, we haven't gone to YouTube. Someone says, greetings from Serbia. What's uh, up? <laughs> you know, one thing that I saw, what, Zach, you wanted me to ask that. Let me ask that question now. So let's talk about dyslexia. Yeah. So you had an obstacle. How do you overcome? How do you overcome it? Well, first of all, I didn't know I was dyslexic for a long period of time. All right. But I am dyslexic, and um, I think dyslexia it was is is one of the gifts that I've been given to help me become an entrepreneur because I would have to read books two and three times. Like I read Think and Grow Rich uh, probably now fifteen times because it's probably the most effective book that I've ever read in my life. Um, that that it helped me. I also. When I, because being dyslexic, I would go out and try to do things that I read because I didn't know if I retained it properly. So I would, it would 
it would make me take action. Mm. And it was my cheat when I was in school. When I was in school, in high school, they had a class that said you can work for one, every alternate week, you can, you can work and get credit. So the last thing I wanted to do was obviously be challenged with the schoolwork. So I started working, yeah. Um, and and it allowed me to do that. And you know, I, I just I just think that being dyslexic is a is a, is somewhat a gift. I mean, if you look at the twelve sharks, you know, because if you add the guest sharks together, out of twelve of us, eight of us are dyslexic. Really? Yeah. Huh? You yeah. Know? It's not always what you think. I, I've come to the conclusion that a lot of stuff, Harvard MBA. All this, there's a lot of BS out there. When it comes to actually being an entrepreneur, you do need some smarts, but you need mm-hmm. a lot of street smarts. And street smarts don't have anything to do with the things that modern day school measures. For. Yeah, you need common sense. You yeah. need to be able to take action. You need to question the system and question everything. You know, listen, when I was growing up and I looked at all these people, these bright names like Henry Ford and all these people out there and, and seeing everything in my neighborhood that I was consuming, I was saying to myself, well, what makes them smarter than me? Why can't I do this? You know, like, well, I I think I can do this. And I tried to do it. Yeah. You know, other people just get intimidated by all these other things. Everything is so grand to them. It's not. Everybody puts their pants on the same exact way. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. When I, that's like, like I grew up playing basketball. And then the first time I ever. You were playing basketball? Yeah, I played North Carolina. How tall are you? Little, not tall enough yeah, to play pro basketball. That's what, I'm that's what I'm saying, baby. Like, you know what I'm saying? Good hey. man. You ain't let them say that. What does what Rome say? It's not the size of the dog. It's the, what's the, what's the saying? It's the size of the fight and the dog yeah, or whatever you the case is. But they, right, also, they also say if you're really short, don't try to play basketball in that same saying. <laughs> I'm short, man. I'm short, baby. You know what I mean? I'm, play, I'm vertically challenged. So, my, so here's, the, I'm glad you talk about that. So I was out here yesterday and Armin's over here. And Armin's about six foot two. And Armin was struggling to touch the net. You remember this, Armin? And I and when I when I played in high school, so I played at one of the top schools in the U.S. Enlo in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And we had a guy on my team. Enlo. Yeah. My Enlo. kids went to Enlo, I think. Yeah. And Raleigh. Yeah, Raleigh. Yeah. So I went. John Walls from my league, all that stuff. So there was a guy on my team who was the shortest guy, shorter than me. He was five foot five, and he was a starting guard on. on we had you know, all Americans on our team. And he could dunk. Five foot five and could dunk? Five foot five and he could dunk. That's great. And, I, and, I, and then there was a guy, my stepdad was, is really tall. He's six foot seven. So we went to our first basketball game, pro basketball game. Sat way up in the rafters. And Muggsy Bogues was there. You know mm-hmm. Muggsy uh-huh. Bogues is five foot three and a half. He's shorter than you, Maya, and he played pro basketball. <laughs> And the same, but this is what was funny. It was the Hornets versus Philadelphia. And on Philadelphia, there was a player named Manute Bowl. I know Manute. He was 7'7". Seven, 7'7". Seven. Mm-hmm. Seven, seven. And so my stepdad had never been to a basketball game. We, had, we were so high up, we had binoculars. And my stepdad goes, I'll never forget, he taps me. He goes, look at this guy. He must be 11 feet tall. I said, well, why? I put it on and I saw it was Muggsy Bogues talking to Manute Bowl. <laughs> and my dad thought Manute, that Muggsy Bogues was like 6'7". Right, and right, this right, other right. dude was too. So, but you know, Muggsy Bogues. He did prove everybody wrong. You know, all these extreme cases. Manute Bowl made it. Spud, he was uh, too tall. Yeah, yeah. Some yeah. entrepreneurs. I, look, I, I, Patrick Schwarzenegger, Arnold Schwarzenegger's son was going to come here. And his dad's rich, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm-hmm. And people say, oh, well, you should dismiss his success. No, a lot of rich kids 
get crack, get on crack, heroin, oh, yeah. meth. Of course. His, you know, his son is a superstar. I love this guy. He's smart, knows business. And then you meet, so he's like Manute Bowl. He started out with some advantages. Mm-hmm. His dad's Arnold. But still, you got to take the advantage and run with them. And, and then, the, and then there's the flip the, side. The advantages to be disadvantages. In, exactly. my, in my last one, Power Broker, I was talking about um, Steve Aoki. You know, dad obviously came, had money. You know, dad had, uh, what's that restaurant? Benihana. Benihana. Yeah. Benihana. And Steve was like, uh, you know, and dad came over here after World War II or whatever the case was, a hardworking man. And Steve was like, I'm going to go play rec- and spin records. And your father was like, that's not a living. You can't you yeah. can't do that. But then when he went into to, to New York City down to CBBG and all those places um they would say get out of here little rich boy you know yeah. because the music you know it's just, it's 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 something from the street right yeah. you know hip-hop and all that type of thing so he had to work twice as hard because his father wouldn't accept him what he was doing and the kids were like you little rich boy nobody wants to be around you yeah um so a lot of times you know being you know having wealth and or notoriety be can become a curse. I believe it was uh, either Carnegie or Rockefeller said, you know, what you need to be successful is to be born into poverty with your health. Yeah, you you need the help. So last thing I'll say as we wrap up, there's a good book by guy Ryan Holiday and the title is The Obstacle is the Way. That's almost like it is for you. It's like dyslexia, you being born in, in, you know, in the streets, your friends dying in prison. That obstacle was actually the way, because yeah. if you had maybe been born middle class or a little upper class, you might have just rested. Yeah, you know, I may have went, you know, listen, my father had, and my father and mother got divorced. I never saw my father after I was 10 years old, but my father would have, uh, he comes from a line of families who are like engineers. I would have grown up to have to go to school and be challenged with the dyslexia yeah. and become an engineer. Nothing wrong with that. Like, listen, maybe I would have had the drive and using that engineer uh, advantage to change the world, but I had to get up there and the obstacle of not having a father and having to be the breadwinner with my mother yeah. in a very very, very bad neighborhood became my driving force to want to see success and want to take my mother out of that neighborhood as well as myself, you know? Yeah. Well, good. All you that were here, last speed question. I've got one speed round question. Make it good. Thanks, Damon, for painting a realistic picture. My pleasure. Thank as you. As well as telling us not to quit our jobs always right away. Good is the enemy of great. <laughs> That's how you're gonna go down on this thing. Um, all right, last thing, this book. All right, let's just do this. This book, you've been pre- giving a little preview. Yeah. Where's the best place for people to follow up, not only with this book, but with you? A lot of people. You yeah. got a lot of fans that you got some new ones now. Where, where well, do they go? Well, of course, the book is, you know, you can buy the book anywhere. The books are sold, Amazon, um, Barnes and Nobles. I have a podcast out now called Rise and Grind. It's been Rise doing, and Grind. Rise yeah. and Grind, been doing very well. And, of course, you can get the book on Audible. Um, you know, my curriculums are out there. My digital ones, Damon On Demand, you can obviously uh, post that and let them know what that is. My success formula goes around to a lot of towns. But you can also catch me on, uh, you know, Instagram and then... And, uh, uh, and Shark Twitter Tank. and yeah, Facebook at the Shark Damon, you know. And then if you tune into Shark Tank, I'm the black guy, the smart one on there. Um, I'm there, you know. Catch me Sunday nights, nine, ten o'clock. Um, you know, it's uh, you know. And listen, I'm I'm a prime example of a short little uh, you know dyslexic boy who got left back in school, who grew up in the hood, who now you get to see me beat up on uh, you know Richard Branson and Mark Cuban every single week at every single weekend, you know, just outsmart them, right? I don't care that they have more money than God. I'm just smarter. You can be that. Person. 
who can win? Mark Cuban was over here and we played basketball, $10,000, whoever hits the first half court shot. So I got lucky, I hit it pretty quick. And then he said, it's for charity, 10,000 to charity. Mm -hmm. And so this is what I learned about Mark Cuban. I had, I had Odell Beckham Jr., same way. These guys are so competitive. Yeah. He wouldn't leave the court till he hit the shot. Yeah. So I came in. So finally, 20 minutes later, he's still shooting, sweating. I leave. Come, he stayed out there about an hour Mark's by himself. Mark is the real deal. He's focused. If you ever look at him on the when yeah. you look at TV and you look at him on the court on the side of the court, I mean, he's he's intense. He's, he's, he's intense. an intense guy. Smart guy. Okay. Amazing guy. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, me, I man. Appreciate I appreciate it. it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.